0: Hello, everybody, and thank you for inviting me into the living room during this Advent season. I'm Pastor Dave at Bensonville Bible Church, a church where pretty much everybody knows your name. For the moment, uh, we're doing everything remotely because of COVID. As a temporary norm, we are learning to meet and encourage and laugh together remotely, which is a new experience for all of us. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. When we look back at Jesus' birth, who is the light that leads us to God himself. To help us get a grip on the breadth of Christmas, we need to lean into the Christmas story as told in the Bible and all that it happens and all that it means. Can you believe it? We are just five days away from the day. Christmas is now center stage and the clock is ticking. You can hear a tick in the background. As we focus on the Christmas story in the Bible, I find it somewhat disconcerting that the Christmas Bible story tends to be clouded over by romantic holiday movies and sappy Christmas cards. The years of the first Christmas were not happy times. It was a time of dreariness, political instability, and ultimately great sorrow, with the deliberate killing of children two years and younger. Well, let's step back into history past for just a moment. Historically, Joseph and Mary are in the village of Nazareth and have been instructed to go to Bethlehem because of a census called for by the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. Now Nazareth is about 70 miles from Bethlehem as the crow happens to fly, but more like a 90-mile hike on foot which plays out roughly to a two-week hike. I don't think it was a walk in the park for Mary because she's pushing nine months of pregnancy. Historically, the census seems to have been Caesar Augustus' way of ensuring control of the Roman Empire. The ancient Jewish historian, Josephus, called the census a oath of loyalty designed to cement Caesar Augustus' political and military power by tracking any and all citizens of the empire who might have some claim to rulership through family lineage. Now, in Israel's day, at that time, there was an increasing speculation that a promised Messiah, referred to as the King of the Jews, was on the horizon. Now, this news circulated from Jerusalem to Rome and all over the empire, and anybody that was of the royal lineage of the King David of years past would have presented a threat to Rome in general, but to King Herod in particular. And, between the, and indeed, the promise of, of the coming King of the Jews didn't sit well with King Herod, Two years following Jesus' birth, Matthew tells us that the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him, Matthew 2.2. 2. Feeling threatened by the word of the Magi, King Herod tried to assassinate Jesus by killing all the babies in Bethlehem, by his calculation, of two years and down. There was great sorrow in Bethlehem. In the midst of the dampening of COVID COVID and economic fears and the politics of our day, I want to help us get a grip on the hope and the light behind the real story of Christmas as given to us in the Bible. Let's take a moment and ask God to guide our thoughts as we explore the biblical Christmas story. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that you've given to us to open your word and be reminded of your great love for us. Thank you for the clarity and encouragement and hope your word brings. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but there were some years ago, um, there was a news story circulated about a little village in a Norwegian town called uh, Rokan. Rokan is situated in a deep valley surrounded by steep mountains. I'm told that the village is shrouded in semi-darkness for six months every year because of the high mountains. During the winter months, the only way the residents can get a dose of sunlight is to take a cable car ride to the very top of the mountain ridge, that is, until one October day, and it was cold. A local artist devised a plan to install three gigantic mirrors on the mountain ridge, controlled by computers, to steadily track the movement of the sun and reflect its rays down into the valley below, bathing the town square in sunlight. According to the news article on that October day to mark the occasion of the dazzle of the mirrors, a crowd gathered in the town square and a band played the song, let the sunshine in for the first time ever. Faint rays from the winter sun reached the town's market square. (laughs) It was heard, one woman was overheard in the crowd, who witnessed the light of the sun for the first time bouncing off the mirrors. She is reported as saying, it will be lovely to come out for an hour and feel the warmth of the sun on my face. Because, listen to this, because of the creative artist, the darkness of Rukan was driven out. That's a small glimpse of the intent of Christmas. Isaiah 9, 2, in referring to our Christmas, says this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. One of the most... Graphic portrayals of Jesus' life is that of a light set against darkness. In John's gospel, we read that Jesus was life and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not understand it. John bores further down on the contrast of light and darkness in chapter 3, verses 19 and 21. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loveth darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his or her deeds may be manifested as have been brought about by God himself. In the Bible, walking in light is a picture of living in righteousness and obedience to God, while walking in darkness is a picture of living in wickedness and disobedience to God. That's pretty much what we're told in Proverbs 4, for chapter 4, 18 and 19. The path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day, but the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know where they go or how they stumble. In John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus testifies that I am the light of the world, meaning he is the personification of righteousness and godliness. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, that God in his grace and his mercy gives us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the Messiah. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, that when we become followers of Jesus, we are called to proclaim the righteousness of him who has called us. And don't gloss over this. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light the point for us is that Jesus coming exposes the reality of sin and our need of spiritual light to find our way to God so Isaiah wrote the people who walk in darkness will see a great light and those who live in the dark land the light will shine on them in Isaiah's day the world in general, and Israel in in particular, lived in a state of deep spiritual darkness. In context, men and women everywhere were shackled by sin, enslaved by iron chains of unbelief, blinded by gross ignorance. The smell of physical death and spiritual death hung heavy in the air. It was, and now is, a birthright to all humanity. If we're honest, this this is the fate of everyone who Every one of us, as we grope pathetically on our attempts to become masters of our own destiny. We all are seeking some hidden wisdom of spiritual enlightenment that will bring us light and life, salvation and peace, love and joy, fulfillment and hope. But in reality, there is none to be found. Darkness rules because the king of darkness has blinded the eyes of all humanity so that they cannot see the truth, 2 Corinthians 4. The king of darkness, that is Satan, spins his web of deceit to entrap deluded seekers. The biblical story of Christmas is about God taking the initiative and setting out his unique way of life and salvation, peace and fulfillment, love and hope, which is only found in Jesus who is the light of life. God sent the incarnate light into the world to enlighten all those who walk in the darkness of death's dark shadow by calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. According to Matthew chapter 4, it was, to the, it was to Israel the light of salvation first came into the world. Specifically, first revealed to the people living in the region of Zebulun and Neptali. It is here that Isaiah 9 uh, prophesies becomes a reality. For that It was there they lived in a shadow of death and it was upon them the light of dawn had come. And this, in essence, is the message we heard from Jesus and are passing on to everyone, that God is light and the true light, and there is not a trace of darkness in Him. If we claim that we experience a shared life with God and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light as God himself is in the light, we will experience a shared life with one another because the sacrifice sacrifice blood of Jesus, God's son, purges away all our sin. If we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is wayward nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit and own our sinful behavior and confess our sins, he will not let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and cleanse us of all our wrongdoings. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God, making God a liar out of God. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance. Mark this down. In order to to have the reality of the light of God in our lives, we have to talk about who Jesus actually is and what he actually taught. In the verses I just read, John gives us three important truths that are designed to open our eyes to the light. First, John gives us the absolute truth in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and are passing on to you. God is light, and that is a true light, and there's not a trace of darkness in Him. John follows this statement up with a negative and a positive statement. Verse 6. He says, negatively, if we claim that we experience a shared life with God and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. Verse 7 applies it positively. But if we walk in the light as God himself is in the light, we will experience a shared life with one another as the sacrifice blood of Jesus, God's son, covers all our sin. John's point for us is, one cannot be in darkness and in light at the same time. Going back to verse 5 where we are given an absolute truth, notice how John interchanges the word light with the word truth. The point he is making is that life and truth, light and truth are synonymous. In chapter 5, verse 20, John bores down further when he writes, We know that the Son of God has come, that's our Christmas moment, and that He has given us understanding so that we may know Him, referring to God, who is true, and we are in Him who is true, and in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So light and truth are synonymous. The point John is making is that if we want to grasp truth, we have to know God. And if we want to know God, we have to know Jesus. And we can only come by Jesus, who is light, the absolute revelation of God himself. Hebrews chapter 1 and John 1. Verse 6 warns us to the dangers of walking in darkness. Darkness is a real-time threat to every one of us. Among other things, it highlights the bent of our thoughts and our actions. That's why John writes in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21 of his gospel, men love darkness rather than light because their actions are evil. And that is why people in general hate the light, i.e., they hate truth. Why? Because it exposes who they really are. It exposes the darkness in their soul. Darkness is filled with despair and misery and fear. I grew up in Kenya back in the days when bathrooms were outhouses. I hated going to the outhouse at night. Our outhouse was hidden in a grapefruit orchard. At night, the trees turned into monsters with arms that threatened every step of the way. I dreaded night night outhouse visits. Such visits were filled with despair, misery, and fear. But when I took a pressure lantern with me, the light from the lantern revealed clearly that the trees and the branches were just what they were. They weren't monsters at all waiting to swoop down and snatch me away. So God is light. He is truth. And Jesus came into the world at Christmas to drive out the darkness, revealing for us what sin really is and the dangers associated with it. This is what 1 John 2, verse 8 tells us. Because of Jesus' coming marked by Christmas, darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. I take John's words to mean that in Jesus' coming, the power of darkness is shattered and I'm no longer controlled by the world, the governance of Satan, and my own sinful impulses, Ephesians 2. But now God's light overpowers the darkness in my life. To walk in the light gives us clear vision as to evil obstacles. God's light shows us the way to fulfill our deepest longings. John Piper points this out for us when he writes when we walk in the light as God is in the light, our desires are captured by the surpassing glory of God himself over everything that the world has to offer. Verse 7 1 John chapter 1 If we walk in the light as Jesus himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus God's son cleanses us from all sin. What happens when we walk in the light? Two realities become ours as Jesus followers. First, we have fellowship with one another. My relationship changes dramatically. To be in the light, I have fellowship with God, with Jesus, and all Jesus followers. And second, walking in the light gives me a bathing in sin. As a Jesus follower, the blood of Jesus cleanses me 24-7. John MacArthur points out for us that all cleansing bath of Jesus' blood represents God's forensic application of Jesus' death to all those who repent. God is completely and forever justifying us who have repented and sets us free forever from his eternal wrath, which culminates in the lake of fire and brimstone is told about is told to us in revelation chapter 19 the place the bible calls hell a place of tremendous excruciating pain and despondency well this is probably a good place to stop and let our mentalness soak up the wonder of the light of christmas jesus said in john chapter 8 verse 12 i am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life in declaring himself to be the light of the world, Jesus is claiming that he is the exclusive source of spiritual light. There are no other sources of spiritual truth that is available to mankind. So let me highlight four applications for us. First, there are only two ways to walk. We can walk in the light, meaning we are living under the controlling desires of God, or we can walk in the darkness, meaning we are living under the controlling desires of the world, of Satan and the evil cravings of our own hearts. Ephesians two one through three. Proverbs fourteen twelve says. Proverbs fourteen twelve says there is a way which seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. There is a way that seems right. The way that seems right includes such things as opinions and practices. It includes things like sensuality and achievements zeal and flattery, but in the process they blind one's eyes to the horrible impending outcome. I read of a sailor who was overheard saying, sailing from Cuba we thought we had gained 60 miles one day in our course, but at the next observation we found we had actually lost more than 30. There was an undercurrent going on in the ocean. And the ship appeared to be going forward by the wind, but actually was being hindered by the current. So a man's course may often seem to be right, but the pressure beneath drives him very contrary to the way that he thinks he's actually going. We're told in in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? The heart convinces us that heart fulfillment is the key to happiness. It tells us that if we would just be true to it and fulfill all of its desires, then we will be happy. But that's not the light of Christmas. Jesus said unequivocally that he is the light of life. No man can come to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. Christmas is about the true light that shows us the way to God. We need to let that light, truth, soak into our psyche. There is no other light, no other truth that shows us how to come to God and receive forgiveness of sins. Second, to walk in the light is to break the power of sin. 1 John 3, 8 and 9. He who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God, that is Jesus, appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one is born of God practices sin because his seed, that is God's seed, abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Christmas is about the destruction of sin's rule over our lives. Jesus gives us the moral power to break sin's grip and to end its domination over us. To be in the light is to live in victory over our sin. And that is the message of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, if we take ownership of our sins, and we confess them to our God, He is faithful and righteous, or He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, mark that, the cleansing is ongoing from all unrighteousness. When we walk in the light, sin becomes distasteful and bitter. That distastefulness and bitterness causes us to strive for the truth so that our deeds might be manifested as having been brought about in God. Third, to walk in the light is to have a real sense of what sin is. When a person becomes a Jesus follower, the light of God, his truth, takes up residence in the heart. God's light pierces the hidden areas of our hearts and our minds. It shows us what has to go, things like hurtful words, relationships that need to be mended, and behaviors that need to stop. John Piper reminds us that the mark of a Jesus follower is not sinlessness, but sin consciousness. The evidence of indwelling truth is the exposure of air. The dawning of God's light in the heart is the revelation of remaining darkness. In this life, we never get beyond the awareness of remaining sin. Therefore, one of the great signs of maturity in Christ is a deep and abiding brokenness over sin. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Fourth, to walk in the light is to reflect the light source. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As the mirrors in, ra- in Raccoon, raccoon uh, it rejected the, reflected the sunlight into the dark valley below, so we are called to reflect God's light into the darkness of despair and misery and fear and misery and tragedy. The light that God turned on at Christmas is meant to shine like the lights of a city at night. In the book entitled *Jesus and the Disinherited* by Howard Thurman, we are reminded that Jesus' message was spoken to people with their backs against the wall. He was speaking to an incredibly poor audience. Jewish communities were brutally occupied by Romans and were charged enormous taxes that could cost them their land if they couldn't pay. Jesus said to these downtrodden people, you are the light of the world. That is absolutely stunning if you think about it. Today, in the midst of the despairing COVID blanket, the shutdowns, the uneasiness of the shift of political power, the rockiness of our economy, and the instability of our culture. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be the light of the world and the only truth that leads to God. And that is absolutely true. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we fall so short of you and your mission. The world we live in is so very needy and hurting. Burden us to sow your word earnestly that we may see a harvest. Take away our sin, take away our scholarly unbelief. Take away our fears of what people might think of us or would think of us, and anoint us with power afresh to step to the front to sow your eternal word, and like your disciples of old, to serve you to the ends of the earth until you come. In your holy name, we pray these things. Amen. Well, as you go this week, I want you to remember. Christmas is about God breaking through the darkness and showing us his way to salvation and the revelation of his righteousness. Christmas is about looking to Jesus and believing on Jesus so that you will not perish. Keep your spiritual eyes on the light and you will not miss the beauty of Christmas. Well, if you think this message, if you find this message helpful and would like to contribute to this ministry, go to our website, bensonvillebiblechurch.com. Click on the donation drop-down box and pick your donation preference. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting up with you again at next week's postings. May our God bless you during this coming week. And don't forget, we have live worship coming up this Sunday. Don't forget, God's got you no matter your difficulties. God bless.